It was wonderful to see the kids performing. It's um, really, as Caro said, we have a talented generation coming through and can't wait to see them doing more uh, in the church. For those fathers out there who were reading the PowerPoint, I'm sure you were trying to guess whether it was one of your children that was writing something about you. I said in the morning service that, and I don't know if this is right, I'm pretty sure Kieran wrote that I only have grey, blue and black jumpers and as I look through my wardrobe I think that's right but we'll confirm later on because all of you know it's not right. Okay, There you go. Um, shall we go to the Lord in prayer? <clears throat> Father, we thank you for this Father's Day. Lord, for you, our Heavenly Father, who loves us and is perfect in heaven. We thank you, Lord, for the fathers and the grandfathers here and who they've been to their children, but not just their biological children, but to people in the church and in their life who they've been mentors to. And Father, as we listen to your word, we pray that it would spring forth in our hearts and produce life change. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. (coughs) So our passage this morning comes from two... In Luke, in Luke 8 and 11, the lamp and the light. So I thought we'd just read through those passages to start with. Luke 8, 16 to 18, the lamp and stand. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that no one who can come and and so those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken away from them. The second passage comes from Luke 11, 33 to 36, the light within you. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body also is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. So here this morning we have two passages seemingly quite similar in what Jesus is talking about. And so I thought we'd delve through the passages with four sections. And um, one's defining the light. So what is this light that Jesus is talking about? Secondly, how do we respond to that light? Jesus asks us to shine the light as an exhortation. And if we're going to shine this light, how do we make sure that the light within us continues to remain bright? And lastly, Jesus finishes with the promise of rewards. So in the next 25 minutes or so, let us work our way through these passages. So firstly, defining the light. You know, now all of us are familiar with light. This morning, um, Jeff led the morning service and he told uh, beautiful stories about, as a pilot, how when you're flying around, you need light to give you some sort of reference, but also in particular when you're landing to have these lights on the runway that come up and a beacon of light in the light tower so that you can make your runway and land the plane safely. Now, for those of us who uh, did Oxfam, we know that, you know, one section we were walking through the Warburton Trail for 10 or 15 k's waiting to get to the next stop. And it's very dark out there in the middle of the night. Um, And so what they say is, you know, follow the path 
but you'll see a beacon of light at one of the checkpoints. And so they had this light up on a lampstand that was probably 30 or 40 feet tall, and as you're walking kilometre after kilometre, you're just looking for that light and being drawn to it and walking towards it. Now, all of us are familiar with light as part of our everyday. The sun rises and brings daylight, and then as it sets, we have the night. And the first thing we do when it gets dark is we try and find light. We all probably have some sort of light on the bedside table or make sure our phone is there for a torch so that if we wake up in the middle of the night, we don't stumble as we make our way to the toilet or do something else. Now, I remember um, growing up that we had blackouts. You know, these days we don't, we've got a battery and that's fine. But, you know, in the days growing up, we would have blackouts. And all of a sudden, if it was at night, the rooms and the whole house would be completely dark. So the first thing uh, we would do is we would go to the drawer in the kitchen and get the candles and light them and place these candles around the house. And obviously that was to provide light so that we could move around the house. Light is there to illuminate the way and show us where we need to go. And so this passage this morning, it talks about light and Jesus is referred to as light many times in the scripture over and over again. So I thought in this first part we would start with defining the light with the way scripture talks about Jesus. Now firstly, Jesus is the light and the reflection of God's glory. In Revelation 21:23, it says, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the Lamb. And for a moment, if you think about that, we know how bright the sun is when you're walking around on a bright sunny day and you happen to look up and your eyes catch the sun. It's only after a moment or so that you have to turn away because it's so bright. But here it's saying in our eternal dwelling, the city of heaven, when Jesus comes to rule again, that there will be no sun and there will be no moon. Not because there's lights, because Jesus is our light. The reflection of God's glory living within Jesus Christ he will reign forever and he will provide light for the whole of our eternal dwelling. Now, I think sometimes we don't think about God's glory enough. If we talk about the sun and just how bright it is, think about Jesus being the glorious light in heaven that provides sight to all who see. It is the lamp, the source of everything that we have here on earth, but in future in heaven, it will show us everything that we need to see. And in Revelation 4, we see this when the 24 elders are there and Jesus comes in and the 24 elders bow down in worship because they see the glorious light of Jesus. And so for us, I wonder how often do we think of Jesus as the glorious light? How often do we behold his majesty and his glory and fall face down in worship? Jesus is the light that reflects God's glory. The second way scripture describes Jesus is he is the light that brings our salvation. David says in Psalm 27.1 that the Lord is my light and my salvation. Now in the second passage in Luke chapter 11 when Jesus is talking about the light, it proceeds an incident where Jesus casts out a demon. And then the Pharisees and some of the people and the observers there questioned Jesus and they said, did did Jesus cast out these demons because he has the power of Satan? And they asked him for a sign. And Jesus rebuked them. And he said, the only sign that will be given is the sign of Jonah. In Matthew 12, 39 to 40, he replies to these onlookers, an evil and adulterous generation craves a sign. Yet no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. 
Because just as man, just as Jonah was in the stomach of the sea creature for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. So what Jesus is saying here to the Pharisees and to the onlookers is, you don't need a sign. I am the sign. I am the one that the prophets prophesied about that would come and bring salvation to the world. I will take the sins of the world on. I will be crucified for them. I will go down to the depths of hell and I'll rise again in three days. I will be your light and your salvation. I have come into the world as light, so whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So the Pharisees and the onlookers, they weren't sure, but Jesus says, no, I am the light of the world. Whoever remains in me will not be in darkness, but will have eternal life forever. So certainly Jesus is the light of our salvation. We know that darkness, if you look up the definition in the dictionary, it's defined by the absence of light. It doesn't have its own definition. Darkness is, by definition, the absence of light. When we think of hell, hell in Scripture is defined as the absence as the presence of God. In 2 Thessalonians 1, 7-9, the Apostle Paul says this, This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. So hell, as some unbelievers may think, is not another version of earth. It's not something like earth where more people will be. Earth has the presence of God. We have relationship with one another because of the presence of God. We are all created in our image. Whether you are Christian or non-Christian, we have the hallmarks of our creator. So when we think of what we have here on earth, yes, there is evil, but ultimately God's presence is here. Hell, however, is something altogether different. It's shrouded in spiritual darkness, away from the light of God. There is no light and no salvation there. It is a place of gnashing, and darkness of internal condemnation. And so this is the reason why when we go to ask what Jesus wants us to do with the light, that he doesn't want anyone to be in that darkness, but he wants us to shine his light for him. Thirdly, scripture tells us that Jesus is the light of the word, the word of God. The passage in Luke 8 follows on from the parable of the sower, Pastor Glenn was meant to preach on that last week, but he will when he comes back because of the announcement he preached on the parable of the minnows. But for those of you who know that the sower goes out and scatters seed, and the seed represents the word of God. Jesus in John is described in the first chapter as the word of God. In verse 1 it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. You know, the word of God is to be treasured in our hearts. Jesus, the word of God, is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, as it says in Psalm 119. And so if Jesus is the bright shining glory of God, the light of our salvation and the word of God, 
How are we supposed to shine this light for Jesus? It very clearly says that we're meant to put our light on a lampstand to shine Jesus for the world. Now here passages say, no one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Now John the Baptist came as one preparing the way for Jesus to prophesy about the light of the world that would come and save the world from their sins and redeem mankind once and for all. So when it asks us to put our light on a lampstand, it's telling us to raise this light so that it can be seen, so that people can come and be drawn to the light. You don't put it under a bowl and hide the light or put it somewhere where it's not so seen. You put it and expose it so that as much light can go forth as possible. And here in Luke 8, it says about don't, putting, don't put the light under a bed. Now, it's not talking about a physical bed. The lights in Jesus' time were burning oiled lamps, and we all know that fire needs oxygen to survive. So the beds that people slept on in those days were like heavy mats or mattresses. So when Jesus talks about putting the bed over the lamp, he's not just talking about covering it, he's saying not to extinguish the fire's flame. We all know about fire blankets that we have. If you've got a fire, you throw a blanket over it, it starves it of oxygen, and then the fire goes out. So Jesus is saying, make sure that you do not let the fire's flame within your life go out by putting a blanket over it. On the contrary, shine it for all to see. Jesus couldn't be any more direct than he was in Matthew 4 when he says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now we have this beautiful church building now. We're able to worship in comfort. We're able to have lots of programs here on church, lots of outreach things. You know, we have uh, had mainly music in the past and some of our worshippers today have come from there. We have the playgroups, which, praise God, are growing. You remember Pastor Caroline two months ago saying about how the playgroup numbers were very low. Now we need helpers because God has brought people into our midst And isn't it wonderful that we have this building where we have things like the English conversational classes and fellowship groups? But it's not about this building. Yes, people are coming here, but it's about us, the people, being the church to people who don't know God yet. Some of these people who come through our doors don't know Jesus, and Jesus is asking us to bring the gospel to them. Whether that's in deeds or in words, we need to shine our light for Jesus. Now we need to be a church that's welcoming. We know the story of Gandhi. He is of course a Hindu. But he liked the preaching of Jesus. He liked what the Bible taught. He was interested in it. Now we're not saying and Gandhi wasn't saying that he wanted to be a Christian, but he wanted to know more about Jesus and more about this gospel that Jesus preached. So he sought out a church in Calcutta. And when he got to the church, he was turned away. The person at the church said, this church is for high-caste Indians and for white people, neither of which you are. And so when you think of what a church is, are we a church that welcomes everyone from all walks of life, all ages, all races? Or do we want to be comfortable in this church with just people 
who suit our own interests and who suit our own hobbies. Let us not be like the church that turned Gandhi away and not just be a church that has fellowship groups and people coming through, but a church where people feel welcome because they see the love and light of Jesus Christ in our life. You know, Brendan Manning, the American author and priest who wrote the Ragamuffin Gospel, one of the most beautiful books and expositions on God's grace, has this very haunting quote for us to consider. For those of us, and I see Ed, who used to listen to DC Talk, you might remember that this was the quote that was spoken of at the start of the song, In the Light. And Brennan Manning says, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians, who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. So while we're a church who lives for Jesus and people come to church and feel welcome here, it's important that we carry out our gospel message and our love and our deeds outside of these four walls so that when we go out into the world, people aren't turned away from Christianity, but they see the light within us and they're curious and their itch is pricked to come to know more about Jesus so that one day they may know his saving grace. Now, if we're going to shine the light for Jesus, we have to make sure that the light within us continues to shine bright. And Jesus has a few things to say about making sure that the light within us stays bright. Firstly, he asks us to live with integrity and with humility. And this was a bit of a backslap to the Pharisees of the day. He spoke very much to their heart to rebuke them. The New Testament scholar Daryl Box says this, Like light in a dark place, Jesus' message can guide us through life in the darkness of this world. But light does not shine to illuminate the way. It also reveals how things really are. The word shows the way and brings to light the secret things in people's hearts. Whether we realise it or not, the word shines and exposes. You know, happy is the man or woman who has no secrets to hide. Plato, the philosopher, was once asked and offered by an architect, I will build you a house with walls and no windows so that no one can see in. And Plato replied, I will pay you twice and give you twice the money if you build a house with windows everywhere so that every room can be seen. Now Plato must have known something about our fallen humanity. He knew that despite our best intentions, we probably act differently when other people are watching and when we know we're being judged. But when we're away, out of sight, maybe with our family members, maybe with our co-workers, we're a little bit different. And so what Plato is saying is that if we want to make sure that our actions line up, we need to be the same day in and day out, no matter what the circumstance. Maybe it's a bit of a long shot to build a house with windows looking in. I don't know, Damo, whether that's allowed or not. But the point being that we should be the same whether we're in the home or outside. Now, I'm not talking about just the small things. Of course, we all sometimes get impatient with our kids, or maybe that's just me. And sometimes things don't go our way. But what Jesus is saying here is that there's no point trying to be different and hide things and be something one way in public and another way when no one sees. He stresses the impossibility of secrecy. In the end, things have a way 
of coming out. In Luke 8, 17, it says, For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be brought out into the open. So while I've talked about making sure that our deeds, our actions and our words line up day in and day out, 24-7, Jesus is taking it to the next level here. He's asking us not to be a hypocrite. He's saying, you can do all these things, you can do all the right things, you can play church, you can be a Christian, you can say all the right things, but if your heart is not right, then you'll be like this picture. You might have your hands open in worship saying that you're a Christian, but inside there's darkness and in the end, this will be revealed. Remember the parable that Jesus told of the tax collector and the Pharisee? The two of them came to pray to God. The tax collector wouldn't go close, stood afar, and in humility said, I am a sinner, forgive me, I need your grace. The tax collector was different to the Pharisee. The Pharisee confidently walked close to approach God and said, thank God I'm not like this tax collector. The Pharisee probably tithed 10%, maybe even more. The Pharisee would have prayed many times a day. The Pharisee knew the Old Testament scripture probably better than any of us. But what Jesus is saying is that if you're proud of who you are, if you're proud of your achievements, you're proud of the way that you do the things that I ask you to do, that is not what is going to save you. He says, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Even what they think they have will be taken away from them. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. In Luke 11 it says, the light within you is not darkness. Jesus is asking us to examine our hearts, to use the word of God as a mirror, as a light, as Daryl Bock would say, and to examine our motives What is it that we're thinking? What is it that we care about? What are our true desires? What do we want for our family, for our kids? What do we want for ourselves? What occupies our minds day in and day out when our head hits the pillow, when we're about to go to sleep? Are we concerned with the things of God? Or are we concerned with the things of this world? Let us be humble and know that we need Jesus. We need him more than we could ever imagine. And in humility, I pray that we would not be like the whitewashed tombs of the Pharisee that have the actions and the appearance of grace, but that we would have true grace in our hearts because we have received it and that we would have this power and anointing to reach out to others because we are not hypocrites and our light remains bright. Secondly, Jesus says if we want to let our light remain bright, we need to hear the word of God well. Luke 18.8 says, be careful how you hear. Remember our passage in Luke 8 follows on from the parable of the sower. Now that story was very much about the seeds scattering forth and the word of God going, but it was even more so as Jesus explained to his disciples about the soil that the seed fell on. Different soils produce different results. Hosea 10.12 says, Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground, for it is the time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. 
And so what Hosea is saying and what Jesus is describing in the parable of the sower is to make sure that our hearts are not fallow ground. You know, many of us have seen what fallow ground is like. It's like those two pictures on the top. It may have produced a crop once or maybe never before, but the soil is dry, it's crusted, there's no nutrients to it. There's no chance, we know, of anything taking root there and springing forth. So Hosea is saying, and Jesus is asking us, to make sure that we make our hearts fertile for the word of God. To till the soil so that the soil that still has nutrients comes back to the top and provides a fertile ground for the seeds that are scattered around. And for us, maybe that practically means how do we come to church on a Sunday morning ready to hear the word of God? Do we stay up late because it's a weekend and come to church sleepy, finding it hard to listen to the word of God? Or do we prepare ourselves on a Sunday morning so that we can hear from God and that the seeds can take root in our hearts and like those seedlings grow and produce fruit? Because Jesus says, if your fertile ground receives the word of God, it will spring forth and you will be able to withstand temptation. Troubles will not worry you, but you will produce a seed many times over that one seed. It will grow and produce fruit. And I think, you know, for me, I think of this church and the seeds that are grown. We look at the kids coming through and learning the word of God. We see them growing and we want to see that the soil that is in this church of all of the hearts here receive the word of God and spring forth, not just so that our numbers can grow, but that truly we work in righteousness and that there is a light within each of us so that this building, which is physically prominent, actually has the word of God bringing the light when people come inside. Lastly, Jesus asks to keep the light shining bright that we make sure that our sight does not become clouded. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body is also full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body is also full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. It's a strong imperative that Jesus is saying here. He's saying not everything that passes through your eyes is actually light. We may think that we have seen the light. We may think that we're following the light. But we need to make sure that we're not deceiving ourselves. There are many bright things that can keep us from seeing the light of Jesus. Like when you're in a city full of light, it's very hard to see the stars. You can get distracted and not know that the stars are even there. And so it is with our lives. There are many things in our lives that may prove to be the shining bright lights that really aren't Jesus. And Jesus says, if that's the case, then really there is darkness within us. And some of these things that may promote themselves as bright lights to us may actually be good things and great things given from God. We all treasure our relationships. We like the things that we have in our life. But are these really functional saviours that are taking us away from the true light of Jesus Christ? So I hope and pray, as the author John Piper says, that you be careful with what you regard as bright and attractive and most compelling. If it is not Christ within you that is filling your life, then darkness will come. 
The light that you think is bright, no matter how bright it seems for a season, will lead you to darkness. You know, in my house, we live upstairs. We sleep upstairs, I should say. And in the morning, I come down and I'm usually the first to wake up. And when it's dark, I come down and I don't open the blinds because, you know, it's cold through the windows and there's no reason to open it when there's no light. So I go and I turn the lights on and the house is full of light and I can go about my business starting to get breakfast ready and do the things that we do. And then slowly we have one window that faces to the east. As the sun rises, a little bit of light starts to prick through. And then I realise that, okay, well, the daylight's coming now, so I open the blinds. And I open the blinds and some light comes in. But it's still not bright enough. I still need those lights on. And so the lights stay on and as we go about our business of having the breakfast and doing things downstairs, sitting at the bench, the sun will rise and the glorious light comes in through the windows where the blinds have been raised. And you know what? Sometimes we forget to turn off the lights because you don't even realise they're there. But really, you don't need the lights anymore. And you know that because when someone says, hey, the lights are on, and you go and turn those lights off, it makes absolutely no difference to the light that's in the room. And so that, I think, is what Jesus is saying here. Don't swap the lights that light the room for the light that comes from outside Jesus Christ. Jesus is the light that came into this world to shine for us. And when we believe in him, that light comes within us and is brighter than any light we could possibly imagine. So no, we're not meant to give up all the good and great things that God has asked us to have, but they're just not meant to be the first things. God is. And lastly, we've worked through defining what the light is, knowing that Jesus wants us to shine the light and how we're meant to keep it bright. He finishes with a promise of reward. He says in Luke 18, 8, at 8.18, more will be given. You know, Jesus says in the parable of the sower that more will be given to more. He says that in this passage this morning. Pastor Glenn, in his sermon last week, talked about the parable of the minners. And those who were faithful in little were eventually entrusted much. They were given minners, and then they were given and rewarded with cities to rule over. Now, for us, that means that we need to hear well the word of God. We need to see well the light of Jesus Christ. And when we're faithful in our little, more will be given to us of his spiritual riches. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean worldly success. It may, should God will it. But it certainly means that we will be given spiritual riches. God asks us not to despise humble beginnings, reading the Bible, the devotion, the little things that we're doing to build the light in our lives. Everyone knows that I love the story of David, one of my favourite characters in the Bible. David was a shepherd boy tending sheep for his household. The shepherd boy was the lowest of low, maybe lower than a servant, sitting out there looking after the sheep. But David looked after those sheep faithfully. He cared for those sheep. If one sheep was lost, he would go and chase it down. And so it was, he told the story that when a lion came to take that sheep, I chased the lion down and I killed it and brought that sheep to safety. And so when David was there and Goliath was facing the armies of Israel, the people who were there said to David, go away, you shouldn't be here, you have no part in this war. And David said, 
and told the story of the lion. And he said, well, I have fought this lion and I have defeated it. So will this giant Goliath be to me. And so do not despise our humble beginnings. Jesus, God, saw David humbly tending to the flock, faithfully looking after the little that had been given to him and decided that he would be king over Israel, an example of a provisional kingdom that Jesus has now come to reign and establish forever. So I pray and ask that each of us, with the word of God that is preached to us and is so readily available in this world, particularly in this country, that we take it and we sow it in our hearts and we are faithful with the little that God has asked us to do in our families, to raise our children, to look after our brothers and sisters and parents, in our work and in our ministries here at church so that God can bless us spiritually and increase the fruitfulness that we have. And Jesus promises that if we make sure that we look well and hear well, that our spiritual eyes will be opened. We'll have limitless vision. John MacArthur says, we go to this word and we have an anointing from God that teaches us all things. And so the word of God opens up to us. The word is a lamp and a light to our path. It exposes and reveals everything. We go from total blindness to total 2020 vision sight. And so in closing today, I wanted to finish with a story and a quote in honour of Pastor Glenn and how he closes his sermons. So the story I want to tell is a story of a young boy who was a very talented soccer player. And there was a six-week summer camp coming up. And he asked his parents, can I go to that camp? And his parents knew that this was good for his soccer skills. It was going to help progress him. But his parents were worried because they were Christian. They were a family that believed in God. That was very important to them. And so they cautioned the son and said, you know, you're going to go in this camp and you're going to learn soccer, but there are all a lot of non-Christians there and don't let that influence your thinking. Don't let that change how you think about Christ. And so off he went to the soccer camp and six weeks later the family and the parents went to go pick him up and they talked about the soccer camp and what it did and then the parents nervously asked the question, so how, how did it go, you know, with regards to you being a Christian and what happened? And the boy said, it was fine. You know, they didn't even know I was a Christian. And that might be funny that, you know, this boy who was told by his parents to make sure that he didn't go astray, went for six weeks with a summer camp and no one knew that he was a Christian and so his Christianity was intact. But that's not what Jesus calls us to do. He asks us to be a light on a stand so that all can see. And so I think, you know, there are two dangers when we want to be evangelists for Christ. We can fit in the world and try so hard to relate to them that we become indistinguishable. And like this little boy, no one even knows that we're Christian and can't see the difference of Jesus in our lives. Or we withdraw and we become irrelevant. We're so scared of being influenced by the world that we protect ourselves, we protect those that we love so they're not influenced by the world. But then we're irrelevant and we can't reach out to them. So I hope and pray that we find the balance to be the light of Jesus to the world as a church, as individuals, that we can shine the light bright for Jesus. And as Mother Teresa said in this last quote, that we need to give Christ a chance to make use of us, to be his word and his work, 
to share his food and his clothing in the world today. If we do not radiate the light of Christ around us, the sense of the darkness that prevails in the world will increase. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. Your word, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Father, we ask that we would be obedient in your teachings this morning and be people of the way. Let us shine your light to the people whose paths we cross in our life so that when they come and meet you, our Saviour, the light of the world, Jesus Christ, they would know your saving grace. Search us, Lord, give us clean hands and a pure heart that we can be powerful followers of you. Forgive us for the times we have made things that should be second first and for the times we have been a stumbling block to others as our witness. We thank you, Jesus, that you forgive. We are not perfect. Your grace covers a multitude of sins. May you anoint us with the power of your Holy Spirit and lead us to shine your light. Spirit, lead us to who you want us to reach out to. Maybe it's our grandchildren we need to tell about Jesus. Maybe it's a neighbour or co-worker who needs a physical act of love or generosity. Maybe it's a relative that we've known for so long that we've given up hope of their salvation. Help us, Lord, to pray with faith and be the hands and feet that can bring the gospel message to those that we love before it's too late. Whatever it may be, God, we earnestly desire to live out, to be blameless and pure children of God without blemish in this crooked and perverted generation that we may shine like stars in the universe. Amen.